Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. We've made it to Wednesday. It's July 8th. I'm Nyla Boudou. And here's how we're making you smarter this morning. The presidential election could upend big pipeline plans and new ways your bosses are watching you. But first, fighting the coronavirus infodemic is today's one big thing. Growing numb to the idea of fake news isn't an option during the pandemic because misinformation can kill you. But social media and a deeply partisan divide are fueling what the World Health Organization is now calling an infodemic that is just as urgent as the virus itself. Brian Walsh is our future correspondent. Just in the same way a pandemic is meant to represent a virus that spreads all around the world, an infodemic is information moving in the same way, often in the same kind of viral multiplying pattern. And in this case, we're talking about misinformation, honest mistakes, errors about the virus, how to respond to it. Also disinformation, actual often coordinated campaigns, sometimes by nation states, to create doubt around the virus itself, to create doubt around how we should respond to it. And it's been pretty scary to watch, really, as fast as the virus has been spreading, that infodemic is spreading just as quickly. Brian, you say the infodemic can be deadly. How so? I'm very worried that when a vaccine comes out that a good chunk of the U.S. population is going to forego it for these reasons. Already surveys have indicated that as many as a third of Americans have said they won't take a vaccine. And it's really concerning. Dr. Fauci actually has said just recently that he is very worried that if you can't get, you know, north of 75, 80, 85 percent of people to agree to take the vaccine, it will lose its effectiveness. You know, it, it won't work in the way we want it to work, which is to really protect society, not just individuals. Yesterday, the Trump administration formally notified Congress of its intent to withdraw from the World Health Organization. Do you think this move affects our ability to address the infodemic and the pandemic? Something like that is really in some ways a consequence of the infodemic. And the WHO has really emerged as a very convenient villain for some people who want to craft conspiracy theories. At the same time, there's an element here where, you know, the WHO has not done very well. And in fact, public health across the board has not really been great about having a clear message on this. And that's understandable to a certain degree because, you know, this is a new virus. We learn new things about it all the time. So the messaging around it is going to evolve. Conspiracy theories within this infodemic atmosphere succeed in part because they offer really easy answers, really clear narratives at a time when we're just in a period of confusion. And, you know, a lot of people want to latch on to that. And that's why they tend to thrive, why they tend to almost spread like a virus does. If you're someone who's listening to this who thinks, I want to not spread misinformation or disinformation, how do you suggest people go about doing that? Well, fighting an infodemic is a lot like fighting a pandemic. Distancing is really key. When you see information, especially if you have some doubt about its provenance, slow down. Do not smash that retweet or like button. That's a good way to just ensure that if there is misinformation out there, it doesn't just jump person to person quite as quickly. So we need to social distance our information is what you're saying. We absolutely need to social distance our information. Unless you're sharing one of my stories, in which case you absolutely should share it as soon as possible. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Brian. Thanks a lot. We'll be back in 15 seconds with some news you might have missed this week about the Keystone Energy and Dakota Access Pipelines. It's been a while since you've heard about big pipelines in the news, but within the last week, three of them are suddenly on life support. 
the Keystone XL pipeline, the Dakota Access pipeline, and the Atlantic Coast pipeline, which is surprising under the Trump administration. Ben Geeman is the energy reporter at Axios. How are you? I'm good, Ben. I feel like if you were a pipeline, you would answer that differently because it's been a bad week for people who run pipelines. Yes, that's right. The last 72 hours have been really wild on the pipeline infrastructure front. Right. So to catch everyone up, the companies building the Atlantic Coast Pipeline threw in the towel this week. That's not moving ahead. The Keystone and Dakota pipelines have been blocked also from moving ahead by court decisions this week. Ben, what was most surprising to you about all of this movement this week? The thing that kind of surprised me most was how this really sort of encapsulates the battle over fossil fuel infrastructure going forward. Because, look, the Trump administration and a hypothetical Biden administration would take just radically different approaches to fossil fuel infrastructure, right? So it shows how difficult it is for even a pro-fossil fuel president, namely President Trump, who wants to be extremely beneficial to the industry, I mean, look, the bureaucratic process is what it is, and the bedrock environmental laws and administrative laws are what they are. So when you try to speed up permitting and permissions, ironically, you can actually have the opposite effect, because what's happened in some of these court decisions are that judges have essentially decided that the Trump administration didn't do enough to dot the I's and cross the T's. So ironically, you know, you could say that that has sort of slowed down the process. And then... All of this movement has been a lot, but what you're saying is that whoever ends up in the White House this fall is actually going to have a big impact on these pipelines. That's right. When you look at these pipelines specifically, if Trump wins, I think it's quite likely that, you know, eventually the Dakota Access Pipeline will get turned back on. If Biden wins, I think there's at least a decent chance that because this environmental review is going to have to go on, it would extend into his hypothetical presidency. You know, some analysts think he would find a way not to allow that pipeline to ever turn back on. When it comes to the Keystone Pipeline, I think there's kind of a race against the clock now. You know, if it doesn't significantly move forward under Trump, I think it's very unlikely that the Biden administration would allow that project to proceed. So those are sort of two of the specific things. But looked at much more broadly, a Joe Biden administration would take a very different view toward fossil fuel infrastructure in general than the Trump administration. The bottom line is that whoever wins the election this fall will have a huge impact on climate change, fossil fuels, and energy policies. And these pipelines are just one example. Ben Geeman is the energy reporter for Axios. Axios Insider is a sneak peek into the conversations we have in our newsroom. Erica Pandy covers the future of work, and she's here with me now. Good morning, Erica. Morning, Nyla. Erica, as people are going back to work, you've been writing about all the new technology that's being implemented because of the pandemic and that we should expect a new world of surveillance in the workplace. What will that look like? So the post-pandemic return to the office obviously comes with a host of safety concerns. And one way employers are dealing with that is bringing in new types of tech to make sure their offices are safe. And what this amounts to is basically just new types of surveillance at work. So different things we're seeing is something as simple as employers collecting temperature when people come into the office to something as advanced as a temperature reading infrared camera, tracking people with real-time heat maps as they move around. Since work from home began, a lot of employers have asked their employees to download certain softwares that will track things like what web pages they're visiting. And some companies have gone as far as to ask employees to turn on their webcam so they can ensure that people are being productive. Do you think that employees feel like they have a recourse to push back now? As you said, this is the middle of a pandemic. 
you know, data privacy was becoming such a hot button issue before all this happened. But we're now in an economy where people feel lucky to even be employed. This kind of employee sentiment could lead to a clear open lane for employers to increase surveillance. Thanks, Erica. Thanks, Nyla. Before we go, here's one blast from the past. There's great news for any big Tron fans out there. Tron 3 is officially in development, according to one Disney executive this week. There's no director yet, but there is a new script. And the best part is that the French music duo Daft Punk is probably coming back to score the movie after the success of their soundtrack on Tron Legacy. Here's a little of it to start your morning. Nothing like Daft Punk to wake you up this morning. That's all we've got for you today. You can reach our team at podcasts at axios.com. We'd love to hear from you. My favorite email so far was actually a picture of a handwritten note. You can do that too, or you can reach out to me on Twitter. If you want more news before tomorrow, tune into our afternoon podcast, Axios Recap. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. <laughs>